Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, a little bit of a mixed picture around Asia-Pacific stock markets at the moment. The ASX 200 in Australia is up 0.1%. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan is down about 0.6%. The Cosby in South Korea um, is surging ahead over one and a quarter percent now, and it looks like it's going to be a flat open for the Hang Seng later on this morning here in Hong Kong. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for the final time this week with Money Talk coming up after the news back chat with Danny Gittings and Jenny Lamb. The weather forecast, sunny periods, a few showers. The maximum temperature is going to be around 31 degrees and then the outlook is for a few showers and sunny intervals in the next couple of days. It's 28 degrees right now, 77% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.31, here's Vicky Wong with the half-hour news. Uh, sorry, Peter, it's Andy Sharofsky. The governor of Ukraine's Lugansk region says his country's forces have recaptured six villages there since Tuesday amid continuing counteroffensives. Sergei Haidai told the BBC it was the beginning of operations to free his region from Russian occupation. His comments come as Ukrainian forces are reported to be pushing towards a key Russian-held supply route. An advisor to the Ukraine president, Alexander Radnyansky, said the Russian troops were weakened and would not be able to hold on to the territory that they'd taken. The Russians are demoralized. They're giving up. They're um, voluntarily becoming prisoners of war now. They don't want to fight. And the more successes we run up and the more failures they run up, uh, the, the more this is going to continue. So I think even during the winter time, we're going to have success and we'll be able to recapture a lot of the territory. Meanwhile, President Putin has signed a decree to take control of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in southern Ukraine, which has been occupied by Russian troops since the early days of the war. North Korea has fired two ballistic missiles into the sea as the United Nations Security Council met to discuss Pyongyang, er, Pyongyang's earlier highly provocative launch of a missile over Japan. The launch is Pyongyang's sixth in less than two weeks and comes two days after it fired an intermediate-range ballistic missile over Japan, prompting Tokyo to raise a rare evacuation warning. South Korea's military said it had detected two short-range ballistic missiles launched from the Samsuk region in Pyongyang toward the East Sea, also known as the Sea of Japan. Brazilian Senator Simone Tebet, a centrist who finished third in Sunday's first round of the presidential election, says she's supporting the left-wing candidate Luiz Ignacio Lula da Silva in the runoff vote against the far-right incumbent Jair Bolsonaro. I will vote for Lula because I recognize in Lula his commitment to democracy and to the Constitution, which I do not recognize in the current president. And back to local news, the police have launched a new online search engine called Scam Meter to help the public detect scams after a surge in fraud cases. People can now search for information such as names and phone numbers when they receive suspicious calls or unsolicited messages. Wilson Fan is a superintendent from the Force's Cybersecurity and Technology Crime Bureau. Our database is big and uh, it's quite unique because the daily police reports will be indexed in our database. And so uh, to enrich our database, we have uh, invited uh, the Hong Kong Junk Corps or another tech company like uh, Checkpoint to provide the data for our indexing. I hope uh, our search engine can uh, raise the awareness of the citizen and provide a comprehensive tool for them to, to avoid uh, the uh, cyber pitfall. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
Good morning. Welcome to Backchat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your guest presenter this morning is Jenny Land. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning. In our main topic today, we'll be looking at the growing calls for a further easing of COVID-19 restrictions. New rules come into force today, lifting the cap to 12 people per table in restaurants and six people per table in bars. But some experts say it's time to go even further and drop the four-person limit on public gatherings and possibly even abandon the use of the Leave Home Safe app altogether. The government has also begun easing restrictions on the aviation industry, dropping the closed-loop bubble arrangement for local air crews while they're overseas. But that hasn't stopped Virgin Atlantic from scrapping its flights to Hong Kong after 30 years of serving the city. So what do you think of these latest developments? You can leave a message on our Facebook page. That's Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call. The number there, 233 88266. That's 233 88266. And later in the show, we'll be looking at the widening poverty gap during the pandemic. Joining us for the uh, main discussion this morning, we have uh, Dr. Vijay uh, Dani Sakharan, who is Associate Professor at the Division of Public Health Laboratory Services at Hong Kong U's uh, School of Public Health. And we'll also shortly be joined by Maurice Kong, who is Chairman of the Institute of Dining Professionals. So, Dr. Dani Sakharan, if you, is it okay if we call you Vijay? Will that make it easier for everybody? Vijay, fine, thank you. Okay. So, Vijay, um, is there any scientific basis to uh, the number of how the number of people around the table can make any difference to the transmission of a virus? I mean, um, it's, it's really clear, right? So, you get more people together, there's obviously going to be a greater amount of transmission. However, having said that, um, we have, uh, we probably have the best ever position to remove measures. Um, social distinction measures because we've probably gone through you know multiple waves of viruses now uh, we've had a big wave uh, early this year uh, looking at the you know the main three components that are really vital for virus circulation you know are there new variants which can you know uh, transmit much quicker than other variants there doesn't really seem to be any new variant emerging but we have a really good idea in terms of all the different circulating variants they all accumulating mutations at similar positions with some escaping immunity but as we've seen um, in Europe uh, recently as well, as the cases are going up, we don't really see any hospitalization. So all this is a really good sign that there's no, uh, there's not really any, any worry, worried uh, variant circulating. Uh, in terms of the host population in Hong Kong, we are probably one of the very highly most vaccinated in the world, except obviously uh, 100,000 odd elderly who still haven't vaccinated. Uh, in terms of the environment, uh, globally, I think last month was probably even better to remove all mandatory measures um, because um, globally there was the lowest amount of circulation. So if there's going to be any risk in the future, it's going to be because globally there's going to be lots of virus circulation and that would probably have an effect on Hong Kong just because there's going to be migration and travel. So uh, all the signs are looking really good in terms of relaxing measures. So it sounds like you would. Would you favour abandoning the Leave Home Safe app? Because some some people say it's pointless now. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think we have actually um, just wasting our time and energy and probably a lot of money on uh, all these control measures, which are not really doing much. It's it's, it's just generally a distraction at the moment. I think uh, we have seen uh, we've seen people come in for the last. Uh, the number of people coming into Hong Kong has increased over time, but the cases are not really going up. So this is a clear sign that none of these control measures are actually doing anything. What about what about the rat test? Is there any point to that? Continuing that? I mean, uh, my personal preference is that I think uh, it should be recommended. Uh, anything should be recommended by the government at the moment, as opposed to being mandated. 
uh, it's a really good uh, device that everybody could use where, you know, if you're going to go out to a party or if you're going to go to a larger gathering, it's a really good idea to do a rack test. Um, I think um, um, it should be, it should not be, uh, it, should, it should be highly recommended, but it could be encouraged in some settings such as schools, because we know there's going to be high virus transmission when there's going to be introduction. And similar to some, some official settings can actually request their staff to uh, use RAT. But I think still it should be recommended rather than mandatory. Uh, on RAT tests, uh, let's bring in uh, Maurice Kong, uh, Maurice Kong, uh, Chairman of the Institute of Dining Professionals. Good morning, Mr. Kong. Uh, so, uh, rules for um, visiting restaurants are, are relaxing today. Is, is, does that go far enough as far as your industry is concerned? Um, actually, um, for the past few days, uh, I do believe because of the proper holiday, a lot of people, they love to go out to a lunch or dinner. So, the travel uh, was very good, uh, not only for restaurant business, but also shopping more and so on and so forth. So it's already very good, but you, you still you're, you still have a table limit, don't you? And um, for for bars, they still have to take a rat test before they can even go into the bar. Yeah, they are still facing a sort of challenge. Yeah, uh, not only the number of uh, customer maximum for safe, yeah, uh, but also the operation hours, and also there's no night performance. They also affect the business. Well, what about this vaccine pass for children that's introduced recently? What, what challenges has it posed to the dining industry, to the catering industry? Yeah, uh, at the beginning, uh, yes, there's a hit up. However, uh, there's something new, of course, yeah, there's a hit up. Yeah. Um, but but, but uh, for the time being, we trip with our members. Uh, it seems that uh, there's no major uh, challenge because uh, we all get used to uh, that system. Um, and are you worried that uh, with uh, with quarantine lifted, it's easier for Hong Kong people to go overseas now? That um, people who might have been spending money in your restaurants uh, are now going to go off on overseas um, holidays instead? Um, uh, yes, uh, as we all know, a lot of people they have to go out, okay, to go to other country, yeah, especially during the festive season. Yeah. However, because uh, now the number from one hundred twenty to twenty forty. There's also a good sound for those banquet events. Yeah, not only the choice restaurant, but also hotel operation. Uh, we strongly request, okay, to have maybe uh, more guests to serve, or even no invitation. Okay, we're discussing uh, the latest developments in relation to COVID, and in particular, growing calls for lifting of remaining um, COVID restrictions. Uh, if you have any thoughts, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, or you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk. Just bring a couple of comments from uh, listeners here. Uh, first of all, on our Facebook page, uh, HK Look says, no doubt Hong Kong is on the way to opening up to zero plus zero soon. Uh, I think that, um, but the expectation of China's relaxation after the party congress shouldn't be too high. The best that could happen this year is probably four plus three, only for Hong Kong and Macau residents. And Richard says, uh, Libby wants us to remain patient. This is a reference to a government official who asked Hong Kong people to wait a few more weeks before consider lifting any more restrictions. We've been playing the game for two years and ten months, while the people in charge have been divvering around. The city has been brought to its knees and our leaders have no idea of the damage they have done. And in the email, Dan says, 
Can someone please explain to me why we are still restricted to groups of four outdoors when larger groups are allowed face-to-face -face in restaurants? Uh, Dr. Um, Dr. Danny Sekharan, you, you, you presumably sympathise with our listener Dan there, saying why are we restricted to groups of four outdoors when larger groups are allowed in, in restaurants? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, I, I can't explain this one. I think I've been on this show like 20 times recently <laughs> and said the same thing, so I'm kind of repeating myself again. There's absolutely no reason for any control measures going on. Uh, uh, hang on, sorry. No control measures at all. I mean, how far, are, are you, how far would you go? Would you, uh, would you abandon uh, mask restrictions? I mean, mask absolutely. I, I mean, I think I would highly recommend indoor masks. Um, recommendation, again, not mandatory at all. Um, and there's no reason to mask outdoors at all, at all, I think, uh, really. To be absolutely clear, I think the government does not need to do any extra uh, control measures which are mandatory for COVID anymore. Right. Um, so the, the, the listener also mentioned, or he thinks, um, that, that we shouldn't pin too much hope on, on uh, easing restrictions as far as traveling in and out of mainland China is concerned. Now, um, should there at some point be um, easing of restrictions um, going back and forth to the mainland? What kind of um, challenges or risks do you see, not just for Hong Kong, but for people in the mainland? I mean, I think uh, mainland is in a much more difficult position compared to Hong Kong. I mean, the biggest reason is that their vaccination program has not really been spiking, uh, sparkling bright since the beginning. And um, I still see the focus is, is more on zero COVID rather than actually thinking about upgrading the vaccination um, and, and delivering the vaccination. Um, and, and that's the biggest concern. In terms of travel, Hong Kong's really not, I mean, mainland China is just like any other region for Hong Kong. And it's probably safe to let people from mainland and any other region because there's zero COVID still. But on the, on the flip side, on the mainland, I, I really think they need to think through because uh, there's going to be a winter wave and the viruses are increasing, which really means that they're going to detect more viruses uh, in the community. And are they going to, uh, do they have the capacity and can they go forward? And for how long would they be maintaining the control measures is really a concern. Um, I, I really think the strategy needs to be changed. It needs to be opened up slowly. Uh, but I don't really know what the what the exact strategy would be because if you just open up right now, you're going to have lots and lots of hospitalizations. So possibly a staggered approach, uh, opening up uh, segment by segment or province by province, I think would probably be a wise strategy. Is, is, the, is the difference in the efficacy of, of uh, 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 Sinovac and, and the, and the uh, mRNA vaccine, is that something that we should be thinking about in terms of opening up with the mainland? I mean, not really, right? I mean, so as soon as we had the first data from the Sinovac, it really showed us that once you've had three doses of either vaccine, you are very well protected. Um, so the, the type of vaccine is not really a concern at the moment, but I think the, what is the component within the vaccine? So uh, still the vaccine in the mainland, I think, is, uh, was at least Wuhan until recently. And uh, if they had updated the vaccine to the Omicron strain, I think that would be a, a really good boost in terms of immunity and because that's the strain circulating and matches the virus really well. Um, you talked about you, you're concerned about a winter wave in the mainland, but presumably the same applies here, that we should be prepared for. I mean, the numbers now are down 3,000-something. How, how low do you think they're going to go before they, they rebound and start rising again? I mean, I actually doubt it will go down much more... So we're near, near the bottom um, now. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, I think it will go down only if we actually increase the control measures much higher um, with respect to the virus transmission, really. Um, we would actually expect the virus 
to go up and down, uh, like what Ben Cowling usually regularly says, has to go up and down. And I think we've actually um, the best position at the moment. The number of cases are not that high. Um, and um, we would see cases. Um, we don't really understand the seasonality of COVID yet, right? So what's going to really drive the next wave, we don't really know. But we can definitely expect more cases when there's cases all around the community. In, for example, Nepal, when there's lots of travelers coming from Nepal. So uh, we should be prepared for that. And we should not just be prepared for COVID, but we should also be prepared for the other respiratory viruses where we have an immunity gap in our population, especially in children. They haven't been infected with regular common respiratory viruses. And many countries over the last year have reported much higher rates of these infections. And that's something that the, the government should actually be focusing more on rather than actually community testing and those things which are really useless. Yeah, Mr. Okay, uh, Mr. Kong, um, you know, the, the Undersecretary for Health, Libby Lee, was basically suggesting that um, there is, is, it's not just a case of taking back the restrictions. We, they, the government may have um, the option to reintroduce some of the, the measures if, if um, things get worse. This sort of start-stop policy, what kind of um, difficulties does it give the uh, catering industry? past uh, uh, more, more than uh, two years' time, yeah, we are running a bis uh, business in a very difficult situation, yeah, and so um, under this uh, restriction, yeah, sometimes uh, we are not trying to do any business. So um, since now um, um, the situation is getting better, we certainly think uh, we should uh, we consider the restriction. Yeah, for example, the cable distance, 1.5 meter. Well, I'm quite sure that this uh, uh, is good enough uh, to under this measurement or not. Yeah, maybe just stop it. Yeah. I think what I'm saying is, um, how difficult will it be for the restaurant if the restrictions get worse rather than better? Like the yeah. the the, the, num the number of people per table, for example, go back to four. Um, the 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 distance between tables. Further, well, what kind of difficulties does that give restaurants? Of course, there's a big, big, big challenge. It's better for, yeah, and, and, and it, is, it affects most of the restaurant, yeah, and also the hotel business, yeah, and for, for sure. So that's why we keep on saying that we strongly uh, you know, uh, request the government would uh, be task uh, with extreme, yeah. uh, even no limitation for the number of uh, customers. Mr. Kong, an email is just yeah. coming from a listener about the uh, restaurant industry uh, that perhaps you'd like to respond to. Uh, James, uh, he starts off uh, tongue-in-cheek, um, referring to the fact that, as we mentioned at the start, uh, the government is relaxing uh, COVID rules uh, from today, in fact, uh, that uh, you can now have 12 people per table in restaurants, six people per uh, table in bars. And James yeah. says, it's wonderful the government's made this decision. More mediocre restaurants can serve tins of chicken and corn soup at elevated prices. Oh, yes, while bemoaning not enough government subsidies. And then James goes on to say, if COVID culled hundreds of restaurants, good. Let the vibrant and good survive. And let us pray that those surviving places now treat customers with some manners and respect. Um, Mr. Kong, I, I, I guess you probably wouldn't agree with that, but is, is there a sense in which I, I know... A lot of restaurants have struggled during COVID, and some um, uh, some have have gone out of business. But it's the it's the stronger, as he's saying, it's the stronger restaurants and perhaps the better restaurants that survive. Do you agree with that? Um, um, actually, now we all know uh, that situation we call new normal. So our our uh, restaurant industry 
also look for different opportunities uh, to run the business, to survive, and also to, to get the business. Yeah. So uh, every time we will find a way yeah, to get the thing done. So can you say, you're, yeah, every time we find a way to get done, you're in, in a way, your industry is a very tough couple of years for it, but you, and, very, and very some, people, some people don't survive, but those who do, you come through almost stronger. You've, you've adapted um, around these rules and different ways to serve customers. Um, uh, yes, uh, under this uh, restriction, it's very difficult to serve our customers, okay? And, and there's also another uh, uh, approach or, or, or effect, which is uh, the labor cost and also the, the food cost is going up and up. It's also a challenge, okay, under this restriction to run our business. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Kong, we've missed most of the major Chinese festivals already so far this year. Mid-Autumn Festival is gone. The next big thing, of course, is Christmas and New Year. Yeah. Um, how are the restaurants gearing up for that? And for, for restaurants, of course, uh, we are ready uh, um, to prepare a lot of uh, activities and also the menu. Yeah. And, and for Christmas time, I think it's a good time for those companies uh, to um, reorganize the banquet events for the staff or even for the customer. Now the number uh, up to 240, that's maybe and that's uh, 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 opportunities uh, for those choice restaurant or, or banquet venue to get more business. And let's and go to hope that the number would be more than 240. Okay, uh, let's go back to uh, Dr. Danny Sekharan. Uh, and, um, Vijay, um, you, you talked earlier about how you said the Leave Home Safe app it doesn't serve any purpose anymore, but um, how, how about the vaccine requirement in the vaccine pass in the Leave Home Safe app? Do, do, you think that's still, do, do you think we should still be requiring people to be vaccinated to enter premises? Um, I think the vaccine has also achieved its purpose. Uh, the main purpose was to try and get as many people vaccinated as possible. Um, and there was an increase in terms of vaccination when we actually had that uh, in place. But now at the moment, I don't really see uh, increased rates of vaccination or anything like that, and necessarily in the most vulnerable elderly population. So again, uh, I think um, the vaccine path as well has gone past its purpose. Okay, uh, perhaps you'd like to respond to an email just coming from a listener, um, uh, David. David says the government should lift all restrictions, although maybe masks on transport should still be kept. Something that's hard to understand is the virus should be doubling up, and it hasn't. Would that not indicate that transmission has been done uh, in a different way and not mouth-to-mouth? -mouth? Uh, um, um, Dr. Danny Sakharan, uh, that point that sure. uh, we, we haven't seen the sort of increase you might expect I mean, it's a good question, right? I mean, I, I really think masks um, should be encouraged, really, uh, in terms of public health. And, and really, I mean, at the beginning of 2020, we really know that Hong Kong is a highly uh, sensitive to disease populations, and everybody self-masks, and the compliance is really high, even if we don't make it mandatory. So if you know, if the population realizes there's a new variant, automatically people are going to mask up. Uh, when they travel, and, and I've also seen people who cough and not wear a mask. People give you give you those stares. So it's really good, I think, in terms of a community which controls the virus. So we don't really have to worry about that. Uh, in terms of transmission of the virus, I don't really think it's changed. Um, it's obviously the virus has become more transmissible. The Omicron is much more transmissible. I, I don't, but I don't really think it has changed from. Um, 
um, from aerosol, which is the primary mode of transmission to uh, the other, like, you know, droplet transmission and things like that. But of course, um, if, if, if the population is very highly dense and they're close to each other, obviously you're going to see transmission through multiple roads. Um, so um, there's nothing really remarkable, I think, in terms of transmission changes. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the argument that the government has been using all along, as far as these restrictions are concerned, is that they need to make sure our healthcare system doesn't collapse. If we drop all forms of tracking, what, you know, the, the leave home safe, uh, the vaccine passes, is there a risk that the healthcare system can't handle it? I mean, not really, actually. I mean, I think um, the, the control measures or the, the strategies we have at the moment is really to reduce the amount of viruses in the population. That's the main goal of these control measures. And they are not achieving that goal. It's not because of these control measures the virus is actually low. It's because of the immunity that the population is built up. It's because of, you know, all the other factors of social behavior and things like that. So really, the, I think the government, um, going back to that word, the line flat, I mean, the government cannot really lie flat, even if they, you know, uh, remove all the control measures, because as I've said earlier, they've got to prepare for newer outbreaks coming up. They've got to prepare for the next pandemic. They've also got to upgrade our health system for long term. And that's something which has been quite disappointing, seeing for the last four years, where you can see billions of money being spent on control measures, um, essentially population control measures, which are not really working, but not really spending enough money to, to to solve problems for long term, like elderly care, like, you know, people uh, living in cages and, 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 you know, there's so many issues that in the population that can be resolved with this money in hand. You, That's essentially my point. You said they, they've got to prepare for the next pandemic. Are you referring to a new COVID variant or, or something totally different? Um, that's a hard, a really hard question to answer at the moment. Uh, we don't really know. Uh, before the COVID, we called it the pathogen X. We have a few virus families in mind. It could be even be a flu pandemic because, as, as we know, that there's lots of different flu viruses circulating in birds and other animals. Uh, certainly, coronavirus is certainly one of the top candidates because we now understand the virus family a lot more better over the past 15, 20 years of research in SARS. But hang on, I mean, COVID was, we would just describe COVID as a once in a century event. I mean, of course, these things can ha happen at uh, any, any time, but uh, uh, the human race would have to be extraordinarily unlucky to have a, another uh, unrelated pandemic uh, arising sort of just a couple of years after COVID. I mean, certainly, it would, it would uh, definitely be very unlucky, but we should remember that we've had uh, the 1957 pandemic, I forgot, maybe a Russian flu. And then immediately we had another 1968 pandemic of uh, the H3N2 virus. So I wouldn't be surprised if we have another pandemic in the next few years, really. Yeah, well, without going into the next pandemic, from today, you know, the government is now offering uh, flu vaccines for everybody over 50 years old. Um, presumably, um, over the past couple of years, when we've had COVID and the lack of exposure to the flu virus means that a lot of people have basically lost their immunity to influenza. Now, how big a risk is that um, posing not just Hong Kong worldwide in the coming winter? I mean, that's right, actually. I mean, so there is a bigger risk. However, we should keep in mind that we still are continuing some sort of control measures since, you know, even though many countries have opened up, the population has actually changed behavior. So that's one thing I think which is actually preventing a very huge flu epidemic, even in the Southern Hemisphere previously. We did see a relatively large influenza uh, epidemic, which actually affected many states, but it did not blow out into a nationwide uh, epidemic in the in their winter in June, July, August. So um, I, I still think that maybe it's not yet 
it's going to be a biggest flu season. But certainly the immunity has gone down and, and uh, vaccination, I think, is the key to actually um, try and suppress the next uh, influenza wave as, as much as possible. OK, uh, let's bring in another comment from a listener and we'll go back to uh, Maurice Kong. Um, uh, uh, Mr Kong, again, our listener writing about restaurants in Hong Kong, he says those restaurants that have survived are the more expensive ones. COVID has successfully killed off the small restaurants that the poor people could feed in. We need to bring back street hawkers and street food to bring the cost of eating down. Um, your reaction, uh, Mr. Kong? Well, um, well, it, 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 in fact, uh, for the book of past two and a half years, uh, and more, uh, we can see more and more small uh, uh, stops. Uh, they're selling different things. And, and yes, uh, we are facing a lot of problems for those large-scale uh, restaurants. Yeah, however, at the same time, there's more opportunities for those small shops to run the business and local food. And, and not only Chao Chan but also more and more single item. Yeah. So I think there's another opportunity. So you're saying slightly differently from our listener. You're saying actually the small shops, the small shops are, can, be do, can be doing well. Um, quite a lot of small, you can see the small shops. Yeah. Uh, yes, of course, uh, a lot of high end restaurants, and suddenly for the past two years, uh, they are doing very well. Well, and that's the reason because those uh, people, they have no chance to do a board. Uh, they may spend money in that kind of restaurant, okay, to have a different experience. Okay, uh, we'll have to uh, draw this stage of the discussion to a close there, and we'll say goodbye to uh, Maurice Kong. Maurice Kong is the chair of the Institute of Dining Professionals, and also our thanks to Dr. Vijay Dani Sekaran, who's Associate Professor at the uh, Division of Public Health Laboratory Sciences at Hong Kong U School of Public Health. Do stay with us after the uh, news. We're going to be joined by two more guests, and we're going to be talking about, about other issues related to uh, COVID, including the easing of restrictions on the aviation industry, of course, that, that easing of restrictions on the aviation industry, then you get the announcement that Virgin Atlantic is going to cease uh, flights to um, Hong Kong after 30 years. So uh, do let us know if you have any thoughts on either of those topics. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Or you can leave a message on our Facebook page, backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Or of course, call us, 233 uh, The weather forecast, sunny periods and a few showers. Uh, the maximum temperature will be around 31 degrees. Uh, stay with us. We'll be back in three minutes. Been looking at uh, uh, d- developments related to uh, the impact of COVID, but moving on to talk more about the aviation industry. Of course, um, good news for the local aviation industry when the government announced that uh, uh, local flight crew are now under um, going to be subject to fewer restrictions. They no longer have to go through a closed loop bubble arrangement uh, when their their local air crews are travelling overseas. But uh, bad news for the aviation industry, or at least those who uh, are thinking of travelling to London, with uh, Virgin Atlantic announcing that. Uh, um, um, it's uh, suspending flights to, uh, to to and from London, London and closing its Hong Kong office, which suggests that this is a, a permanent move after 30 years of uh, flying to Hong Kong. Uh, joining us as we uh, continue the, the discussion, we have uh, Professor Xiaowin Fu, who is Associate Dean at the Hong Kong Polytechnic's University of Faculty of Engineering, uh, and Stephen Cheung. Stephen Cheung is the founding chairman of the Hong
Hong Kong Professional Airline Pilots Association. Uh, later on, we'll be talking about the uh, widening poverty gap during the pandemic and talking to uh, uh, someone from Oxfam about that. If you have any uh, thoughts about either of these topics, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Or leave a message on our Facebook page, uh, backchat on rthk radio free. Uh, one email has come in from uh, Leon um, asking about uh, what's happened to Professor Benjamin Cowling. Uh, Professor Benjamin Cowling uh, used to be a regular on uh, backchat uh, talking about COVID. Says, Leon says, you haven't heard, of, heard him on RTHK for a while. He seems to be missing, missing in action or left Hong Kong. Uh, Leon, as far as we know, uh, Professor Benjamin Cowling is currently away now in the UK. That's all the information we have. Um, let's go over to Stephen Chung uh, with the Hong Kong Professional Airline Pilots Association. Mr Chung, this, this lifting of restrictions on air crews, will it help Cathay, for example, rehire some of those hundreds of pilots that they've lost? Danny, Jenny, very good morning to you. Yes, uh, the major airline in Hong Kong has been rehiring and reactivating the crew and our, our, ma- our members from four major airlines in Hong Kong welcome the, 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 the changes of the regulation. I mean, uh, just to recap, the close crew has been incredibly tough. The loop cycle last year from 11, 21 days to 28 days, and you have uh, a choice of successful, uh, successive two 28-days, which means 12 weeks of quarantine. And that's incredibly tough under a going long period of self-isolation, uh, both mentally and physically. And the effect of social isolation and loneliness uh, on cognitive health, it, 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 it has a huge impact. Uh, our members have reported that they, um, they're missing out on death of loved ones, uh, their, their reports of increase of number of divorce uh, with the pilot community, that the people are reporting, uh, our members are reporting they're missing their child graduation, missing out on family gathering, uh, and of course, lack of access to care and, and physical activities as well. So they're, they're not allowed to go into gym. Uh, we, we are being tracked where we're going uh, even after uh, we arrive in Hong Kong uh, when we're out uh, down route. So uh, uh, we're working outside of Hong Kong. Uh, we we had to stay in our in, in our hotel room. So oh. the opportunity costs are incredibly tough. Yeah. So so ease some of the stress. But do you think the pilots will actually come back? Uh, I think some will. I mean, if the pay packet match what the the, the international uh, airlines are paying, I'm sure they'll come back. Hong Kong, it, it is. Still one of the greatest city after all, but uh, I think we need to take drastic action uh, to, to, to compete with other major cities like Singapore or, 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 or even the States or Europe. What about what about you, Doc, uh, Professor Fu? Do you think that will help revive Cathay Pacific, lifting the airline restrictions? Uh, certainly it will well. Uh, it will help really improve the working conditions for the pilot. And I think this is the, uh, the measures we introduced in COVID is really like a, a, a urgent or emergency help or restrictions. Eventually, they have to be uh, removed progressively. So, so no mask on flight or no more what, uh, leave home safe? What are you saying? What do you think? Well, I think eventually. Uh, leave home safe, uh, that one, when we are going to move, it depends. But I think the, if you look at the current policy and also the general uh, aviation industry trend, uh, progressively remove, for example, the quarantine and uh, many of these tests, 
uh, this is the uh, trend I think the, the global industry is, is heading toward. Uh, Mr. Chung, an email's come in from a uh, listener, Eileen. Eileen says, it's my understanding that airline crew, although now being allowed out in their duty outport, when they return to Hong Kong, they're going to be subjected to daily PCR tests for several days. Why is that when tourists can now come to Hong Kong and only need to take one PCR test when they arrive, Mr. Chung? Very good question. Yeah. And I think we're one of the safest people in the world. And don't forget, those are our free time. Uh, we're not being paid for the time that we're commuting to uh, the, the, the PCR station. And I, I think that's the price that we're willing to pay. But eventually, I hope that we can be in line with other crew uh, around the world where we don't have to do the daily PCR test. Uh, the RAT test should be suffice. Now, the, of course, the other big development in terms of the aviation industry in Hong Kong was Virgin Atlantic's announcement overnight that they're, they're scrapping flights. Uh, you presume they're scrapping flights permanently because they're closing their office in, in Hong Kong after 30 years. Um, what, what, what do you make of that announcement? Well, it's very sad. I mean, I returned to Hong Kong recently. It's a very sad sight. You go to airport around the world, you see aircraft flying. But in Hong Kong, since it's the only place in the world, even compared to our counterpart in mainland China, there is nowhere in the world right now where you have aircraft parked in the world. The aircraft are not making money when they're sitting on the ground. The airline have to pay for aircraft lease, crew insurance. And for Virgin, it shows that it has a significant operational complexity in Hong Kong. Uh, if you look at the, 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 the news, OPEC in Russia uh, has increased oil prices with supply cuts. Uh, and and uh, airlines, uh, major airlines around the world, uh, some airlines are not allowed to operate into the Russian airspace. So it makes uh, uh, the route between London and Hong Kong an extra two hours flying time. So it, it further increases the, the, the cost of operation. So it is a very long road to recovery for the four major airlines in Hong Kong compared to our counterpart, like in Singapore, where they are flying for over a year already. Mm. You mentioned the effect of the uh, the Russian the, being unable to fly over Russian airspace and that adding to the flight time. So maybe it's nothing to do. We shouldn't blame Hong Kong for this one. It's nothing to do with uh, the government's COVID restrictions. It's um, it's to do with uh, global factors outside Hong Kong's control. Yes, but again, we need to have someone. We need to have passengers coming into Hong Kong, transiting in Hong Kong. There are only 7 million Hong Kongers. We need tourists from mainland China. We need tourists from Australia, the transiting passengers. So, I mean, the, the airline can only do so much. The government can only do so much. But we need to have a joint response on the economy, economic recovery of Hong Kong, how we can emerge stronger and better. And not we need to stop, stop the brain drain from Hong Kong from the pilot community, from the financial industry, uh, and from, from uh, the research industry. And we need business people to come into Hong Kong to transit so that we can do business in Hong Kong. The house prices have gone down 10% already since the beginning of this year. We need to do more. And the airline industry can be a, a catapult to assist Hong Kong in the road of recovery. Yeah, so Professor Fu, Mr. Chung, is pointing out that we really need those mainland tourists, or, or just not tourists, just travelers back in Hong Kong. Um, do you agree? How, how much of an impact will that make? Well, I think we need all the tourists, not only the mainland, but the, uh, globally. Um, basically, if you look at the uh, other market, if the government remove many of these uh, travel restrictions, uh, notably the uh, quarantine requirement, then the aviation industry will rebound pretty quickly. Well, not to the 100%, but pretty quickly up to 60% to 80% if you remove all the restrictions. So right now, if you look at our numbers in the second quarter, it's probably 0.6 million. That's barely 
one month the total traffic volume uh, pre-pandemic. So we have a long way to go. Uh, on the other hand, that means if we could remove uh, many of this the uh, constraint on travel, uh, we will have a, a pretty quick recovery. I mean, it's not to the full, but let's see, uh, a pretty quick recovery uh, to the 50%. What, what? Beyond, beyond that, then we need to really focus on the fundamentals. Like, for example, uh, to re-bring bring back some of the airline and headquarters, etc. How do you do that? How do you, as we, as we were just mentioning, we're, we're just seeing another airline pull, pulling out of Hong Kong overnight. So um, it seems like we're heading in the wrong direction rather than bringing them back, more leaving. Well, uh, first you need to really uh, progressively remove and quickly, hopefully, to remove the, uh, the, the constraint. Now, then when the game becomes really on the fundamentals, then you should fo- focus on the fundamentals. How do we do that? Right now, for example, the airport is giving relief package, uh, just one or two months relief package. But now, later, we need long-term stimulus package, incentive package. For example, we have uh, the, 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 the airport, right? Right now, we're giving some relief. Make it a, a better design, for example, to give more incentive for newly added flight. We need a package for training. Now, we have lost many of the flight crew and also the whole aviation industry have lost many of the experienced uh, uh, talent. We need to help and uh, reintroduce some of the retraining package. We need to discuss the need, for example, to streamline the air traffic control in the region to increase the capacity of the third runway. We need to approach some of the foreign airlines and say, okay, tell us your wish list. How do we bring you back? And of course, we know you want to remove the, the, the travel restriction, but what else? What else can we bring you back? I think these are all these measures we could look into. We're bringing back the airlines, one thing, but, but, but encouraging people to fly again. I mean, the cost of airline tickets are, are so extortionate right now. Um, what can be, and, and that's, of course, partly to do with the co- uh, cost of fuel. Uh, how can we improve on that? The, the high air ticket price, actually, uh, it, it, on the one hand, is not good for the current demand. But on the other hand, it gives incentive for airlines to increase the supply and uh, to reduce the uh, airfare. And that would form a positive loop to attract more uh, passengers. Now, if you look at the current capacity utilization in Hong Kong, it's, it's slightly more than 10%. So which means there's still a lot of slack in the system. So, of course, it takes a little bit of time to bring back the pilot. They need to do the, uh, for example, retraining and do, do the, the, uh, the certification, but that will not be too long. So I, I don't see a huge problem if we remove the travel restrictions for the industry to recover quickly uh, to up to, let's see, 50%. Um, we, ha- we have a, um, an, a message from a listener, Angie, coming on this topic. It says, your guest says we need bums in seats, we, more, we need more people in seats, but CAFE needs to reduce the price of flights. They are ridiculously high and unaffordable for most. On checking last week, it was costing $7,000 or more to Manila. This is insane. Um, Prof- Pro- Professor Fu, I mean, that, that's, I think you were talking about that already. It's an issue of uh, demand and supply, isn't it? Yes, yes. I think it's uh, now, uh, think about it. Think about put yourself in, 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 the, in the shoe of the Cathay Pacific. If you see it's very profitable to fly more passengers, what are you going to do? You are try your best to really uh, bring back all the capacities, right? And, and of course, they need to be sure, right? They need to be sure that there's no going to be no uh, coming back, there's no going to be no further disruptions. So I think that they're giving the message to the airline and help them 
to retrain, to prepare, and the capacity and supply will increase, that's going to bring down the travel cost and also bring back the passengers. And while we've had all these restrictions, um, places like Singapore and Bangkok, uh, where there are no more COVID restrictions, say they're catching up. Do you, do you see Hong Kong ever becoming the aviation hub that it was in this uh, competition? I have no doubt. If you look at the, uh, the Changi Airport in Singapore, from April to June, their traffic volume is probably three, uh, 7.3 million passengers, if I remember correctly. Now, this is the... Before pandemic, this is uh, slightly more than one month traffic volume of Hong Kong. So I think that, and also, one of the advantage Hong Kong has is the third runway. Now, people may say, well, uh, this actual capacity come at a time when there's no demand. But mind you, when we say demand, sometimes economists say demand function. So if you reduce the price, reduce the cost, offer a good deal, you can stimulate the, the, the demand. And, and once you have the actual capacity at hand, for example, you can attract more type of airline, like low-cost carriers, right? They offer, typically offer lower fare, and therefore they can bring more uh, passengers. So uh, I, I see the fundamentals of Hong Kong is still there, but of course, we have lost uh, a lot of competitiveness and also some of the customer airlines into the region. That's why I think that right now we are talking about recovery, but soon we should refocus on the fundamentals. How do we switch, switch from a battle against the pandemic to the normal competition? How do we develop and strengthen uh, Hong Kong as a hub? Okay, we're almost out of time on, on this topic, but just uh, to, to finish off, let's go back to uh, Stephen Chung from the uh, Hong Kong Professional Airline Pilots Association. Um, you were saying that um, you, your members have been through a uh, rough time over the past couple of years, and of course there were stories about flight crew being spat on at the worst of the times during COVID and so on. Um, do you think that you, you, you really see that that's over now, or, you, or are you still worried about that kind of thing going forward? Well, I, I think our members are still extremely worried, and, and I think we're being overly optimistic that the, the path of recovery will be easy and it's not going to be easy because after all the border between uh, mainland and, and hong kong is, is still shut and 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 uh the majority of a passenger going through the hong kong hub come from the great a great bay area which has the catchment area of 70 million people so we have to remember that yes the fare is very high at the moment because majority of the aircraft are not flying and our, our members are not flying uh, but the airline will only return to pre-2019 level if mainland China opens the border with Hong Kong. OK, thank you very much. Uh, you heard uh, just heard Stephen Chung, who's the founding chairman of the Hong Kong Professional Airline Pilots Association. And also with us in this discussion, Professor Xiaowin Fu, who's the associate dean at Hong Kong Polytechnic University's Faculty of Engineering. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on two double three double eight two double six and have your say. And of course, you're also welcome to email us. Uh, the email address backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. And just one final email from uh, David, who's been sent a number of emails. Emails about uh, the restaurant industry. Uh, he said, "Start attacking the rent for shops. Then we can have a lot of small businesses that are cheaper in price, and more people will come to Hong Kong." But this government wants to give everybody pay rises and overprice the visitors out of Hong Kong. Thank you very much, David. Uh, moving on, uh, Oxfam uh, releases a re- released a. Rep- 
report on the effect uh, of uh, COVID on the gap between the rich and poor in Hong Kong. Of course, the gap between the rich and poor in um, Hong Kong are always uh, very large. Uh, the Gini coefficient um, uh, very striking in Hong Kong compared with many other parts of the world. But they say that COVID has made the situation far far worse. And they say the poorest make over 47 times less than the richard richest in Hong Kong as COVID widens the gap between rich and poor. Uh, joining us to explain more about these findings and uh, what could possibly be done is uh, Terry Leung, uh, Assistant Research and Advocacy Manager at Oxfam Hong Kong. Uh, good morning, um, Mr Leung. Welcome to Backchat. Good morning. Uh, so can you just tell us a little bit about the, about the, 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 the change in the situation during COVID that you, your, your, your survey revealed? Uh, thanks for giving us this opportunity to share our research findings. Uh, I, I will try to recap some key findings of our research. Uh, based on the def- definition of the property lines, our research finds that there are over 1,400,000 poor people in the first quarter of this year. Our research derives this area to analyze this situation for income inequality. Oxfam Hong Kong analysis data from the Census and Statistics Department from 2019 to the first quarter of this year. For this period, we find that the income of the poorest 10% of households decreased around 20% of the income. However, over the same period, the richest 10% of households increased 6.3% of their income. As a result, the gap between the poorest 10% of households is 47 times compared with the richest 10% of the households. And then this gap in 2019 is 34% times only. One of the most important reasons for the mentioned phenomenon is the high unemployment rate and under-unemployment rate of poor people. Despite the fact that overall unemployment rate has decreased, we discovered that the unemployment rate for poor people reached 26.1% when compared to the non-poor people. It's reflects that the working poor are more influenced by the pandemic than the rich. There are 62% of the unemployed poor people were middle-aged, and both of them working in lower skills jobs. Uh, similarly, poor people have higher unem- under-unemployment rates. The rate of these groups is 10% compared to 2.7% of non-poor people. And then our study also finds that the number of people who were economically inactive and poor also increased sharply from 2019 to the first quarter of this year, reaching over uh, 1 million of this year. More importantly, the number of elderly increased sharply, reflecting that the problem of aging population in Hong Kong, in fact, the poverty rates of elderly reach over 51%, it means that two out of every two elderly people who do not have job is poor. Okay, so your 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 report has shown a lot, a, very, a lot of very alarming um, figures there about the extent of the problem. What is I don't want to say the solution, but what what can be done to try and make the situation less serious? What what should people looking at these figures and how serious they are? What what what, what should they be suggesting we can do to help to help these people? Oh, we have ten policy suggestions, but I will focus some 
key suggestion due to the time limits. Oxfam believe that the minimum range pays an important role in regard to the working poor. We suggest increasing the hourly rate to 45.4 with reference to the CSSA amount and rewilding this amount annually. This rate would benefit near 340,000 people compared to the current 14,300 record. Moreover, to address the high under unemployment rate and unemployment rate of the poor. We suggest that the government extend the temporary unemployment relief scheme to the end of this year and release the minimum working hours requirement to 36 hours per month for the family, working family allowance to address the high unemployment rate of the poor. In face of the aging population, Adrian problem. We suggest that the government support older people to review the government's employment program for the elderly and middle aged by increasing the allowance for those who still want to work. Do you, As do, for the el- yes. yeah, do, do you do you see the lifting of some of these um, COVID restrictions? Will would that help to address this wealth gap issue? Um, may I have your question again? Well, you know, um, the government is easing some of the COVID restrictions. So, for example, in restaurants, uh, more people are allowed now. Um, do you think that the continuing easing, lifting of COVID restrictions will help to relieve some of these problems that you're mentioning? Yes, sure. Certainly, uh, this restriction can help to improve the situation. But our research also finds that for the uh, for example, for the women in the poor family, the labor participation rate of this family is very low because they do not have resource, extra resources to take care of the children. So that although the situation, the government released the uh, restriction, they still have some gap. For example, the government should improve the child care facility to facilitate the women in poor family to work. That's, that's not strictly COVID-related, though, is it? Yes, I. In fact, there are uh, for the COVID. After the COVID, but the families still have some childcare service to help them to take care of the students be- before they can go to work. Of course, poor families were affected much worse by the school closures when you moved to online learning, weren't they, when the children had to stay at home? And um, even now for primary schools, it's still half-day schooling, isn't it? So um, uh, parents have to make arrangements to uh, take care of their children in the afternoon. Is, is, is that, Mr. Um, Mr. Lung, is that maybe part of the problem for poor families? Yes, thank you for your elaboration. Yeah, um, and, and that's why you're talking about maybe more childcare going forward? Yes, um, and uh, again, of course, for the um, for the for the poor families, if they're working in blue collar jobs, it's, it was much more it's much more difficult for them to work from home. Um, whereas um, uh, uh, professionals, can, it's much easier to work from home. So maybe they're affected. But all of this uh, suggests, as um, as my co-presenter was saying just now, things should start to get easier now after COVID, and maybe maybe it's past the worst of it for these families. The situation should get better, Mister uh, Mister Yes, but uh, the situation is fluctuates. So that we suggest government to extend the temporary unemployment relief scheme for for the people who who are unemployed or underemployed. We uh, still have some periods to to have more stable and working environment. Yeah, I can understand how um, the the unemployment has. Uh, 
widen the wealth gap. But you are saying um, earlier that economically uh, inactive people are also doing worse. Why is that? Presumably, these are not people who lost jobs when you when you say you they're economically inactive. Yes, some people who uh, during the before the COVID, some older people may have working in the labor market, but due to the COVID, they lost their job, and then uh, in this period or after the COVID, they are difficult to get their job again. So that their status is from economic active to economically inactive. Do you say you think some people have permanently left the workforce as, as a result of, of COVID? Yes. And that, but, but surely if the economy continues, it starts to improve, then there, there'll, there'll be more job opportunities. Um, maybe some of them will come back to the workforce and that will help to, help to solve some of that problem. Yes, in a certain extent, the situation will be better after the, the end of the COVID. Mm-hmm. So... It's it's really not surprising that that poor, uh, poor people are faring worse. But are, are the rich people actually doing better? I, I, the wealth actually, gap. Yes, actually, if everyone should increase their income years after years. But the problem is that the poor people, the situation of the poor people is worse uh, compared to two thousand and nineties. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, that was uh, Terry Leung, Assistant Research and Advocacy Manager at Oxfam Hong Kong, uh, talking about the uh, widening po- poverty gap that their uh, survey has um, uh, revealed um, uh, as a result of COVID, and it's also saying that the rich are getting richer uh, as, as well as the poor getting poorer. Um, thank you very much also uh, to uh, my co-presenter, uh, Jenny. Uh, the weather forecast is going to be, the maximum temperature is going to be around 31 degrees. Um, the outlook, though, there are going to be a few showers and sunny intervals in the uh, next couple of days. But it is going to be fine, uh, becoming fine early next week. It's the 25th anniversary of Hong Kong's return to the motherland. And the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region is celebrating its 25th year. This special occasion is for every Hong Kong citizen. A wide range of events are being held to celebrate the anniversary with the public. Join in the celebrations and share the joy. Together we shall move forward to a brighter future. Visit hksar25.gov.hk for celebration event details. The news with Andrew Shirovsky. The operator of COVID vaccination centers rolling out the government's flu jab program from today says there's a high chance of a flu surge this winter. Dr. Samuel Kwok from Virus Medical Group believes mask wearing during the COVID pandemic has suppressed exposure to the flu over the last couple of years. The police have launched a new online search engine called Scam Meter to help the public detect scams after a surge in fraud cases. People can now search for information such as names and phone numbers when they receive suspicious calls or unsolicited messages. And, a top oil producing, and the top oil-producing countries have agreed to the deepest cuts in output for more than two years, despite pressure from the U.S. to increase production. OPEC Plus, which includes Russia, says production cuts of 2 million barrels per day would be made from the current baseline figures. We'll have more news at 10 o'clock. La, 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 la.